Hey, hey, welcome back to On the Battlefield with Father Michael Marcantoni and me, Father Joseph Collins, where we are sharing the Christian message of hope and endurance amidst the struggles and suffering of life. Hello, Father Michael. Good to be back with you today. Please remind listeners new and old where they can find us online and on social media. Outstanding. Yes. Well, uh, always a pleasure to be here. Um, you can find us, of course, on the battlefield on our main hosting site. That is Anchor FM, which shares out over Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and on social media, Facebook, on the battlefield podcast. Uh, and what's really great about the Facebook page is uh, we don't we do share the podcast, but we also share a lot of other related materials. So talks and sermons and other things that are relevant to what we're doing. Uh, in addition, on the non-podcast weeks, because this is a bi-weekly podcast, so on the non-long format weeks, we do have the OTB shorts, the On the Battlefield shorts, which share out over YouTube and Rumble, and then, of course, over social media as well. Uh, the shorts are just brief little videos of one or the other of us, either myself or Father Joseph, uh, just kind of informally riffing about some of the material that we're working on and we're, we're mulling over in prep for the show. So it's uh, kind of a little more laid back. They're pretty fun. I enjoy them. And we hope you all do as well. So thank you, Father Joseph. Yeah, thank you, Father Michael. Today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, acedia. And there's a nice overlap within uh, recovery language where we are, where people are claimed to be, what, irritable, restless, and I forget the other word. The stock phraseology is restless, irritable, and discontent. And uh, there's a lot to pack, unpackage there. But given that uh, most of our audience, and I, I can certainly tell you, if you haven't, if you haven't been to seminary, chances are you've never heard of acedia. So why don't we start there? What is what is that, and what is it all about, and why haven't we heard of it? It is a Greek word, as we all know. Everything that is of any use in the universe is Greek, even Jesus. Any, any word, any word. And Jesus is even Greek. I mean, the misnomer is that he was Jewish, but he was actually Greek too. Oh, is it because his mother's name was Maria? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, acidia comes from the Greek word akidia, and it gets translated into Latin as acidia. But uh, this this word um, famously used by the monks of the desert and um, for our purposes today by St. John Cashin, who we have quoted before. But what is acidia? It it is sometimes sometimes called amongst the monks the noonday demon, or Saint John Cashin also called it the two-headed demon, and it really is just uh, the 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 sense of restlessness or dissatisfaction. Uh, another way to say it would be like a, a feeling of not being well or just kind of depressed or sad for no real apparent reason it manifests in a bunch of different ways but it's but it's spiritually it is uh, being dissatisfied with your current station i think you could say kind of accurately in one sentence what do you think well so it's so it becomes hard to unpackage i i think the best way because uh, i so if you if you go to volume one of the philokalia 
Uh, and if you go to volume one of the Philokalia, you have the writings of St. John Cashin there. St. John Cashin, for those of you who are unfamiliar with him, he lived at this, it, it was really kind of a remarkable time in the early patristic period. The Roman Empire had just become largely Christian. Um, the, the Chalcedonian schism hadn't occurred yet. So that wasn't that wasn't an issue. So John Cashin and his friend Germanus, they were from what would we would refer to now as Romania, and they went on uh, they went on the ancient world's greatest road trip. They decided, and this is the only this is like the only time in history you could do what they did. They they decided they would leave their home in what is now Romania and learn from the spiritual masters of the Christian world. And so they first went to the monks in Palestine and they were learning from the from the monks in Palestine and they got directed. They said, you know, there's these 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 um, spiritual, you know, there are these these spiritual masters down in Egypt that we would call the desert fathers. These, you know, these men and great men and women of the desert that we quote now that we're still alive then the desert fathers and, and the, the, the monks in Jerusalem were like, hey, you've got to go. If you're serious, you go to Egypt. So they go down to the to Egypt and they become disciples of the Desert Fathers. And then Cashin, when he leaves his apprenticeship there, he eventually ends his life as a deacon in Rome. So he took that trek from Romania through Palestine into Egypt and then ends his life as a deacon in old Rome. I, I mean, so you can see like this, there's such a small window of Christian history where that could happen. And he wrote copiously about it. Um, so like we have such great records. So the beginning of the traditions of prayer that would become the Jesus prayer, like he catalogs all of it. And one of the things he takes to Rome is a list of what the desert fathers taught him were eight demons that afflict the monks. And he takes that list of eight demons with him to Rome. And that list of eight demons that afflicts the monks, um, by the way, his writings would uh, would eventually become seminal in uh, Benedict of Nursia's Benedictine rule. But uh, the um, about two centuries later, four centuries before the Great Schism between East and West, about two centuries later, you have uh, Gregory the Alagos, Gregory uh, Pope of Rome, who we know as St. Gregory the Alagos, he took John Cashin's list of eight, St. John Cashin's list of eight demons that he got from the Desert Fathers, and he took acedia, and he took listlessness, and he combined it into one word that really doesn't do a good job of describing either. He combined that into one word, sloth, and created the list of seven deadly sins. And that's how your eight demons afflicting the monks becomes the list of seven deadly sins. Sloth doesn't really describe either acedia or listlessness. Um, there's a big difference. Before I kick it over to you, I'll just say what it is. Uh, so listlessness, of course, is that, that sense of dejection, that sense of I can't get out of my own way. But Elder, Elder Zacharias of Essex, who is a contemporary spiritual elder now writing, uh, in his book on the enlargement of the heart, speaks of acedia as a very particular type of uh, spiritual malady, whereby we have a dejection and listlessness in regards to spiritual matters. So you can't 
be bothered to get out of your way for spiritual matters, but that is covered up with an excess of external activity. So he says what makes this demon so particularly dangerous is the person under its sway looks and feels very productive. It's very easy to tell someone, hey, man, you know, you need to get get off your tail. You're just lounging around. These people don't lounge. They're incredibly productive. And you will find yourself being incredibly, uh, incredibly productive and feeling productive and being lauded for contributing all the while your spiritual life is falling into disarray. You are restless. You are irritable. You are discontent, but you are super busy. It is as if you had, um, if I dare say, it's almost as if Martha, Martha, Martha had got her way. And hey, quit your sitting around and let's get busy. Um, So that's the real danger in Acedia. That's the attack of the demon. It's not just that you're can't, it's not that you just can't get a move on. It's that you over busy yourself neurotically so that you don't have to look at the fact that your soul is rotting. That is the very reason that St. John Cashin called it the two headed demon because your soul is rotting because you're not attending to your soul because of all sorts of restlessness and leisure. But it looks like two different things, but it's one affliction that attacks in two different ways. Yeah. So the the two-headed nature of it being idleness and restlessness is exactly what Saint, not Saint, forgive me, uh, Father, the Archimandrite Zacharias was saying in his works. Um, you know, and, and Cashin about Asidia even, even says that um, it, it works hand in hand with, with the demon of dejection, uh, which uh, doesn't allow us to see that we are the problem, but actually looks for the problem resting outside of ourselves. So like when we get depressed and say, oh, Father Michael did it, it was his fault. It's because we haven't, we've been idle and restless within and unable to see our own faults and our own sins. And and then you see this in, in our society. I think Asidia is one of the major demons afflicting our current situation here in the U.S. because we, we see it in our addictions to to uh, social media and so on. And rather than aiming at virtue or minding our own business and staying in our own lane, we get super involved in the lives of other people and depreciate and deprecate them rather than focus on our own shortcomings and sin. Yeah. And I want to, I want to really highlight what you said there about sort of the, the dejection and the restlessness, you know, part of that part of that being restless, part of that being irritable and discontent really is summed up well by dejection, really is summed up well by, you know, nothing is quite good. Nothing is quite good enough. And even in our perpetual scramble, the wrong kind of scramble, I mean, to to double back on sort of the improper use of our own terminology from earlier episodes, um, it, it, it's nev- it never really measures up because there is almost a terror of really pulling out of the uh, of the funk there is kind of a there is kind of a comfort in the malaise that everything's wrong and everything's bad but if i can identify everything is bad at least that i can identify it and i'm not let down and if i pull out of it and everything is good again it opens up the danger of things being bad once more and that's terrifying 
Um, but what's but what's really interesting in how you said that uh, that we we see the problem everywhere but ourselves. Uh, also, from the recovery perspective, one thing that sponsors are very fond uh, of telling their sponsees is that if you have a problem, if you have a resentment, uh, and you're upset about it, the problem is with you. And nobody likes to hear that. But it's also a very orthodox Christian thing to say. It's like, yeah, someone may be, um, yeah, someone may be, may be cruel or may be disagreeable or maybe unpleasant. Uh, but why does it matter to me? Like, really? Like, why are my feelings hurt? And, and my feelings are hurt all the time. But what is it? Well, it's usually my pride, my ego. It's usually uh, my own sense of self-importance. It's usually my feeling that my endeavors to be important are being thwarted by your uh, ingratitude towards my greatness, that sort of thing. And, you know, and then there, you know, we want to talk about being dejected. Well, then it's like, well, why should I even bother if no one's going if no one's going to thank me, honor me, be happy for me, I might can tell you how many people stop going to church because I'm not getting the recognition I deserve or my grandma's plaque didn't get put up on a wall or something like that. Well, then the problem really is with you. Why? Well, why were you doing it in the first place? Were you doing it because you needed the praise of men or because you were doing it to serve Christ? You know, Christ says, when you woe to you who receive the praise of men, for I tell you, you already have your reward. And that really terrifies me whenever I, I, I see um, our church award banquets and it's like, hey, we want to thank these people for being good stewards for so many years. And I'm like, don't they need that in the kingdom of heaven? Like, why you don't thank them now, man? They need that. They need that when they go before the dread judgment seat of Christ. What are you doing? Um, and that's not to say that we shouldn't show gratitude towards one another. But but look at that. Look at Look at how the problem really is with you, because in your own pride and self-importance, um, if that doesn't get fed, you're you're off the reservation. So there's a lot more in dejection and the discontentment that comes with it that then we try to cover up more with an ego show. And that's more spiritually dangerous, as it were. What do you think? It's super dangerous. I, I read this recently. Um, the men do not believe or have faith in God because they receive their honor one from another. Because we seek security and mutual acceptance. We fortify our world and seal it off from God because we do not seek honor from God. But th- that, that dejection, I think, really moves into Asidia in, in either one of the two places of idleness or, or an abundance of leisure. I think you could say an abundance of leisure time would be idleness too, or that restlessness. Um, and we see that in the monks. You, you've seen stories of monks from from the Philokalia or other places, and I don't remember the, the the monastic's name, but there is a story of a monastic who did his handiwork every day and at the end of the year would burn it just to keep his hands busy so that he wouldn't have an excess of, of leisure time to, to be out, uh, out and about sinning. Because that, that abundance of leisure time then allows us to have so much time to be restless that we go out and we start to busy ourselves in the lives of other people. 
That's when we start to see gossip rear its ugly head. Or when that curiosity of what so-and-so is doing back home rears its head and we get onto Facebook and waste all sorts of time chirping at people on Twitter. You know, these these are the vices of the demon of Asidia that you see facing us so much. And it's and it's a re, and a lot of that is a reluctance to be quiet and look inside. It's like if you have a reluctance to be quiet for five minutes with your own thoughts, like at the meta level, that should be a really big red flag whipping in the winds of Wyoming. 60 plus miles an hour today, mind you. Uh, well, and you know what? And, and it's not, I, I dislike when people say like, I can't be quiet. I can't stop. I can't be alone. Yes, you can. Um, it, you don't enjoy it. That's different. It, it's, it's, it's fraught with uh, unease and restlessness. That's different. But man, you're restless, irritable, discontent. Your life is unmanageable. Um, and you know what's very interesting. What what I what I I like pointing out to people is like if you're telling me that it's difficult, it's absolutely possible. Because only difficult things, only possible things are difficult. Impossible things. I think I've said this on the podcast before. Impossible things are not difficult. They simply can't happen. Um, you know, like if I, like, I, I believe in the, the last time I mentioned an episode, but I'll say it, I'll say it with the same example. Like if I tell you, I'm going to jump off the roof and fly like a bird across the city, it just, it's impossible. It's not difficult. It just simply doesn't happen. I'll jump off the roof and gravity will take over and I'll fall and that's it. Um, but difficult things, when you run into something, it's like, oh, this is hard to do. That also means it could be done after sufficient work and practice and, and preparation. Um, but when we're when we're not wanting to be alone with ourselves, when we're taking a look and we're not liking, we're feeling that that restlessness and that irritability and that disquietude. There, there's a real thing that's happening where we also don't want to look and say, "I'm the problem. I'm why I'm." I'm why I am uh, disquieted and restless. We don't like to do that. And I feel like that sort of in the negative light spirit of Martha, uh, that's, that's where Asidia really kicks in, in our communities. Because, um, you know, you can, man, you can get, you can get 80, you can get 80 plus people uh, to church, you know, on, on a weeknight or on, uh, a, a weekday to bake, to clean, to busy themselves with it. But you can't get that. You can't get 80 plus people to come to a Bible study. You can't get 80 plus people to come to a weekday paraclesi. Like, I, I, I can't tell you how many people be like, oh, Father, I always come for the festival. Come for liturgy. I mean, if you're having to pick, skip that and come to liturgy. Why? Because, like, the spiritual stuff is really. Uh, is really what we're here to do. I'm, I'm, more people know our recipe, their recipes than their spiritual life, than the scripture. Well, we got a problem. And the problem is we've been able to build phenomenal buildings and great profitable structures off neurotic busyness. But that's a city. That's the problem. It, it's it's Akidia, it's a city where, where it's like, the spiritual stuff, we're not concerned for it because 
we did our due by having our hands busy. But meanwhile, Christ never asked us to have our hands busy with those things. He did say there's one thing needful. And seek the kingdom of God before all else. And the rest of these things will be added to you. So St. John wrote this, Cashin wrote this. I wanted to get your, your feedback on it and how it relates to what you just said. Do your own business. You should not want to inquire curiously of the world's actions or examine the lives of others or want to spend your strength on not bettering yourselves and aiming at virtue, but on depreciating your brethren. How much of that happens at those places, at, at those times when you have 80 or 100 people? where you're inquiring of other people's business and gossiping and chittering and chattering. But does that happen during the liturgy? Does that happen during Vespers? Or do you have to stand there and be quiet and introspect and hear the divine oracles of God, as St. Dionysius said, and actually have to think about yourself in the light of revelation offered to you in those moments of prayer and worship versus just living in that place of Hey man, did you hear what so and so did? Oh, look over there at their stupid recipe that they do. I can't believe their grandmother from the Horyo thought that was ever a good idea. Yeah, and it's and it's and, and it's the worst part is like if you if you really now this is this is where and and, and I you know this is where our uh, you know uh, some of our non orthodox listeners will will probably nod their heads a little bit. This is where we genuinely can get accused of trying to, quote unquote, earn our salvation. Genuinely. Not because we participate in the mysteria and the mysteries and sacraments. No, 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 no. But because we say, I don't need to attend to the spiritual life. I don't need to repent. But if I'm just busy enough around the Christian body, around the church, around the house of God, that's good enough. I'm, I'm, I was a good Christian because I was here and I was super busy. And I, I got a lot of stuff done and I really did all this stuff. So I'm good. I don't, I don't need that confession stuff. I don't need that, that prayer stuff. I don't need that spiritual life stuff. I'm busy. I, I even had one person one time all the way back at the beginning of priesthood. They're like, yeah, yeah. Like they were, I was like, Hey, why don't you come into this service? They're like, uh, I'm, I, I'm busy. I'm, I'm, I've got real life. And you know, they were doing busy stuff at the church. Like, well, come into the service. Oh, I got, we've, we've got real, real life going on here. no, for the Orthodox Christian perspective, what is happening in the service, that is the realist of real life. That is the real and needful thing. Um, but this is where we can we genuinely think, hey, man, I showed up. I, I did enough hours of building maintenance or whatever else. And it's not that and it's not that those things are bad, but it's that we put the emphasis on the wrong things. We, and it's. You need to do the building maintenance because that's part of your worship and it allows your worship to be done. But guess what? The more important essential thing is come and commune with Christ and repent of your sins. That's the important thing. The rest of that, man, I'd rather have I'd rather have unwaxed floors and mismatched tiles. That's fine if you will come in and genuinely seek to amend your soul before God. Um you know, I, I, and, you know, we, we've all seen it. Like I, I, I like I can tell you, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen too many. I, I'm going to pick on this uh, because it's been a sore spot throughout my ministry and I can. Um, but like, for example, I, I know one priest who having a similar frustration disbanded, disbanded his parish's uh, Greek dance practice. 
he's Greek himself. It's, it wasn't because he was against Hellenism. It's because if you guys aren't going to come to services, don't bother with the show. And he was right. It's like, how many people do we get that like, hey, man, they're only showing up an hour after service is done because they'll dance practice, but they're not coming to the services. They're not there for prayer. Imagine if we really said to people, give your time if you're first giving your prayer. We're scared to do it because we don't want them to stop writing checks. How do we stand before Christ with that? What about that dude that you've met in your life and I think every priest has met during his life? The first time you meet him, he's in his mid-60s and says, Hey, Father, it's nice to meet you. Yeah, it's nice to meet you too. I don't see much of you. Well, you know, I served in the altar when I was a kid. Oh, well, your blessed service when you were a teenager exempted you from following Christ for the past 50 years. Interesting. Interesting that we have adopted that that sort of concept uh, yeah. in, into our orthodoxy. Well, and, and that's not to say that we don't appreciate people who, and, and you, you know, we, that's not to say that we don't appreciate people who, um, you know, maybe come around to living a genuinely repentant life later. Like maybe get those priorities straight later on in life. That's okay. I mean, you know, Christ accepts the 11th hour even as the first. It's like, hey, if you're, get, if you're only getting it now, we'll get it and bring those lessons forward for everyone else. But so we're certainly not ragging on anyone, but I definitely know what you're talking about. And I, I think what I would say is that the only way we get that so frequently as we do, because that story that you just told is like it's a constant thing. And I've had people even get upset with me that I didn't know they were members of the church, like when I had never seen them in my life. Like I, w- I remember that happening. I was new at the parish that that happened. I had never seen this person before. I welcomed them as new. And they were like, they got mad at me. They're like, I've been a member here forever. I'm like, I haven't seen you. I've been here for eight months and I'm just meeting you for the first time. And it's like, uh, and I was made to feel like that was my fault. I'm like, how am I supposed to magically know? Um, but how do we get there? Well, we get there through a city, through Akedia, where we're looking and saying, um, this Jesus stuff, this repentance stuff is not really important or worse still, it can be made up for by just a lot of busyness and service. I'm sorry. No, we really can't earn our salvation, right? We really can't busy ourselves into the kingdom of heaven. Now I'll temper that by saying, I don't think, I don't think I'll temper that by saying this. I don't think most people head into that course of action with any sort of deliberate malice. I think on the case of a lot of people, it really is misinformed priorities, uh, a, a, a malformed catechesis. And in many cases, they may genuinely think they're really doing the best they can. And I think we can count on Christ to respond to that with mercy and love and generosity and however he deals with each of us them and me um it'll be just and loving and so i wouldn't despair of those people's salvation either because someone who's genuinely giving of their service and that's all they know to do and that's all they've known to do and that's all anyone around them is known to do for the last 70 years well are they not still doing the best that they can 
So I think Christ is going to honor that. I don't think he is going to defraud his servants doing the best that they can. What I am saying, and what I think you're saying too, is that we ought to wake up and do a little better going forward and, and do a little better catechizing and forming those priorities in the generation going forward. Um, it's, so it's, I, I, I hope our listeners don't take it as we're slamming these people in the past. Because there's also a lot of great people who are just doing the best they can. But saying, okay, here we are now. Maybe we should restructure, reassess some of these priorities going forward. And it may mean that we got to look and say, you know what? I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. I am the problem. And if I would stop my neurotic busyness for two seconds, um, I would have to confront some things that I need to go to confession about. I think that I think that you're right, and I would agree with you that I'm not intentionally slamming people, but the ideas that people have taken and solidified as Christian dogma, you know, that that by that sort of service, Christ is definitely going to be good with me. They're like, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be with Christ. I don't need to do any of that sort of stuff because I was baptized and I served in the altar when I was a kid. But... But is that entirely their fault? Like you said, no, no, that, that rests on the hierarchy within the church. That rests to a degree on the shoulders of the priest who catechized him, the priest present when he was an altar boy. Like, why isn't that altar boy aware that being an altar boy is awesome, but this needs to carry in, that sort of Christian service needs to carry you throughout the rest of your life. And but then also conversely, you know, that irritable discontent and restless restless can happen to anybody. Why, why does the drunk become a drunk? Because he thinks it's a great thing to become drunk or he, he just kind of falls asleep at the wheel and in that discontentment and the irritability and the restlessness learns to habituate himself to not listening to the voice calling him to repentance. You know, and how, how many of us fall into that, whether it be in our own Christian service or into the into the vices of drinking, drugging or other sorts of uh, digital addictions? Well, what, what I'm one of the things I'm very adamant with people about is that all unrepentant sin makes us restless, irritable and discontent. It makes your life unmanageable. Being gossipy, backstabby, venomous, petty, it makes your life wicked, unmanageable and leaves you, you, you never leave a petty conversation uplifted and spiritually full. You leave it restless and irritable and discontent and distrusting the people around you. You leave it out of communion. It's, I mean, the, the fruits of sin are right there. Um, but what those, the, how those sins function very similarly to alcohol and how the alcoholic becomes a drunk, it, it's, you become an alcoholic because you have a life problem. You don't really have a drinking problem. You have a life problem. You don't know how to manage life on life's terms. You don't have to know how to really face life and face yourself. Um, you happen to have found this chemical escape. But one of, one of, uh, another thing people in recovery will tell you, be very careful not to replace one addiction with another, one escape with another. So what's the deal? The deal is that when we're looking at sin, it's like, well, I don't ha I get to escape. I get to practice Akidia and I get to not look at the depth of the spiritual life because 
I am escaping it through being the best busy person here ever, through being the best busy body at church and so I know why I'm better, or being super busy, or being super administrative. And and as priests, we have to look at ourselves, because you're right, we have to look at ourselves as the founder. Again, if you've got a pro if you've got an issue, you're the problem. So when we say there is an issue with the priorities in our parishes, then as priests, we gotta look and say, I'm the problem. You know, it's interesting, uh, St. Paisios of recent memory gave that advice to one of his spiritual children. Uh, one of his spiritual children asked about, you know, some theoretical, goofy, f- theoretical, f- philosophical question about like, why, why doesn't God help, uh, you know, some struggling couple in a- Athens who they fall into an affair or something like that? And St. Paisio said, because you're not a saint, it's your fault. He's like, what do you mean it's my fault? I don't even know these people. He's like, it's your fault because if you were seeking first the kingdom of God and became a saint, your prayers could help them. And, 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 and so like, it's as priests, it's like, we're saying there's problems in our archdiocesan parish priorities. Okay. Well, it's my problem. It's my fault. Why? Because I was a holier, better priest. Those problems wouldn't, I, my prayers would help them. The, the priests that we say, why didn't they catechize them? They were doing their best. They were working hard. They were praying. They were men of prayer. They had challenges in front of them that I, I've never faced. You know, who who am I to judge them and say I would do any better? But it really, it really terrifies me to think how many people leave my altar? I think I'm, I'm endeavoring by the grace of God to do the best that I can do. But how many people leave my altar malformed or uninformed in their faith or with poor priorities? Um, I mean, like, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to reckon that with Christ because I know I haven't batted a thousand. I, and I, it's it's terrifying. And that's where it's like we can't say, hey, I'm busying myself as priest with like another building project or another fundraising project and think, that that's going to make my priesthood good. It's like, no, I need to be, as a priesthood, above all else, seeking repentance, seeking a life of prayer, seeking to amend um, and strive ever more towards Christ. Um, because we're, we're, we can't busy and parish administrator ourselves into the kingdom of heaven either. And I, I think if we're going to give that caution, no. If we're going to give that caution out, you and I, we got to turn it in on ourselves. We're like, you know, I, heck, man, I love doing this podcast, but like we can't busy podcast ourselves into the kingdom of heaven. I can only busy repent myself with an all daring faith in Christ and prayer into the kingdom. Yeah. That, but that, that is the antidote, that quietness, the, the prayerfulness, the daring faith in God that overcomes acedia. Yeah. It's it's the alcoholic looking in the mirror and saying, I've been running from whatever trauma, whatever perceived joy I received from this bottle. It's the drug addict looking in the mirror and saying, I'm the problem. I'm the problem and I have a problem. And acting. I have to act. The, the, the lack of quietude and the restlessness and the discontent and all that stuff isn't the option. It's not the remedy. Running from, from the issue, which is you and your broken soul, is not the remedy. 
The bottle of Jack Daniels is not the remedy. The can of Budweiser is not the remedy, the heroin, the gossip, the busyness. These are all band-aids that we, that we use to try to cover up the brokenness of our own souls. And the only thing that will ever lead you to wholeness is that, that quietness that leads to, to repentance and seeing ourselves as we are in the need of a savior. Well, yeah. And, and to that point, like you mentioned, you have to act well, you know, in, it's funny, right? Like there's recovery does this really well because it talks about, you know, God was doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And they'll say, well, leave it, let go and let God. But then it's also do the next right thing. This is a program of action. So how do you know what the next right thing is? Well, the next right thing is the thing that isn't driven by your pettiness and resentment. The next right thing is the thing that doesn't undo your emotional and spiritual sobriety. Uh, the next right thing is the thing that is of service to God and your neighbor, or to put it in Christ terms, you know, to to seek first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness, and then all these other things will fall into place. Um, and even even within something as uh, even within a human process like you know the, like the steps, you'll, you'll hear if you go to recovery meetings, you'll hear people talk about like, hey. All these miracles and, and unexpected blessings fall into place when we practice these principles. But what is, what is the core of the principles? It's to maintain serenity and love and service. So if you are if you are if you are doing something petty and spiteful, and if you're serving but you're doing it in a petty, spiteful, and um, self-serving way doesn't count like we would say no that's sorry that's off the mark but guess what that doesn't meet the benchmark for christian service either so like the first place you look like well are you you know how are your resentments how are your thoughts and that's how you know what the next right thing is and so it's a a breakdown in human communion and and hierarchy in a way that like that we w- withdraw into ourselves so much that we only serve ourselves and run from our own stuff and we're not really in genuine communion with those around us or with any sort of hierarchy within the church i mean if we're not in compu- communion with a priest in confession or working within the hierarchical structure of the church to draw us towards something greater what do we have we're, we're empty like you just said well, and it, and it, and it, and it's, you know, it, it's, it's divine human community. You want to know what's, what you're addicted to, and you want to know where your pettiness and self-serving and restlessness and irritable discontent are. Uh, look how you react to something being taken away. Look how you react to someone saying, hey, um, you know, we're going to have someone else bake that this year, or someone else is going to do the floors, or someone else is going to be filling out the paperwork, or someone else is going to be, or, or I need you to start filling out the paperwork instead of me because it's actually not the priest job. It's that's why we have an office manager, for instance. Or, um, or you know, or or someone telling you, hey, um, for the better of the church, we need to, you to stop doing that and someone else to do it. But thank you for all the years. Look at how resentful you would immediately get. I've been doing that for so many years. That's my grandma's stuff. Uh, I always do the floor. That's my territory. Or how many parishes? When the, when the person who has 
this one task on lockdown and doesn't let anyone else in, when they die, no one knows how to do it. Why? Because it wasn't being done out of genuine service. It's being done as a petty little fiefdom wherein my, uh, wherein my sense of self-importance is getting fed. And you know it's your sense of self-importance because when it gets taken away from you, when it gets taken away from you, you're angry and resentful and I don't want anything to do with the church. Well, so you, so this little petty fiefdom of baking or decorating or whatever is more important than the body of Christ. And Christ makes a one-to-one equivalency with his body. So you're happy to say goodbye to Christ and his body because of cookies, uh, roofing, um, uh, I've seen people stop going to a church because like there was a fight over where the candle stand gets put in the narthex. All of that, any of that outweighs the body of Christ. Are you kidding me? So that's how you can tell that your resentments and selfishness was at work. No matter how busy you were, it wasn't done right. That's how you know. And that's how you know it as a priest too. I mean, you know, like when I take it personally, because I give what I think, I put together what I think is a great class or talk and like four people show up and I get resentful. That That's my problem. That's my fault. And you can tell that it's my own sense of self-aggrandizement and self-importance because how could these people not show up? Like they don't have the lives. Beyond. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we get petty and self-important too. So if we know that, Let's repent and do the next right thing. The kind of service you can lend without your ego being the in the driver's seat. Hey, check this out. So one of the stories that St. John Cashin gave as an example of Asidia was from a monastery. And one of the monks was uber discontent with being in the, in the monastery. He hated it. He didn't like the prayer. He didn't like any of it. And he wanted out, but through his gossip and his restlessness, through his through his talking and bad mouthing the monastery, he talked another younger monk into leaving the monastery with him by night, running away, and drawing the other priest out of the monastery. He didn't show up, but the other priest, out of embarrassment, left, and the one who was the gossip and the malcontent stayed. And through, and through his destruction of the soul of the other, made it look like he was the Holy One. So there's also something about Asidia that draws us into the destruction of other people. Through, through our own discontentment, through our own, irrational, our own irrationality, through our restlessness. So, we can, you know, that's something to be aware of, too. Well, our own unrepentance, kind of like being, you know, our own... Our own unrepentance, kind of like our own need for recovery, um, unrepentance always demands human sacrifice. Like my brother, my brother's reputation. Um, you know, I'm going to be unreliable at work because I'm not managing either my mental repentance and sobriety and how I gossip or, or, or slander or maybe even my physical sobriety. So guess what? Someone's got to look bad so that you don't see me. Um you know, we, we can fault Cain for committing the world's first murder, but as St. John Christum would, uh, would opine, when we consume our brothers through gossip and slander and fault finding, we're equally murderers. 
In fact, Christ says as much in Matthew's gospel. So when we are when we choose to not amend ourselves, the price is always human sacrifice. And sometimes we're so cruel that we let the person continue to live through their suffering. Like, think about that. Like you, you destroy someone's life and reputation and you're so cruel that now you make sure they have to live with that pain for the next so many years. Like we can put people through some real hell and make sure that they live long enough to suffer through it. How is that not worse? Like that's cruel. That's vicious. I came by me hating fair and square. Papa used to say. What? I, I that, came by me hating fair and square. Papa yeah. used to say. I got it. Wow. Did well. You 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 bring the gold. Um, but but yeah yeah. I but that and you know what you know it'll keep you um, unsober and unrepentant resentments, and that'll keep you petty and that'll keep you in your little fiefdoms. So uh, I think in wrapping up, I'd say that our own acidia, our own our own akidia, and and lack of. Uh, lack of spiritual priorities do indeed boil down to an unmanaged sense of self-importance that we then medicate over through neurotic somethingness. Either it's through neurotic busyness, neurotic busybodiness, neurotic self-medicating. It's all the same problem. And so if we know that it's the same problem and it's a cookie cutter solution, um, so I would invite our readers to jump on uh, St. John Cashin's. You you probably Google it. St. John Cashin's list of the eight demons that afflict the monks and see what he writes about uh, Asidia. In, in, in English, you might see it listed as uh, listlessness and dejection. But uh, but look look for what we're talking about, that whole the, the whole external busyness covering over a lack of spiritual concern. Read what he says. Because he writes very long paragraph, he writes very long sections about each one, and he also comes with solutions. Here's what you do in the face of this. So, uh, uh, so if you're listening and uh, and you happen to do that, write us back and tell us uh, tell us what you found that Saint John Cashin prescribes to do uh, in the face of akidia, listlessness, and dejection, and what you think you'll do with that knowledge. You get a little homework assignment for our folks. He's very clear about the, the remedy for Akidia. Asidia has a very clear remedy. So in the next uh, episode, uh, we'll look for those answers on Facebook to see who, who took the time or actually knew who to read and then uh, cycle back to this in the next episode. But if you find yourself with a lot of leisure time or idleness, where you're just wandering around the house looking for reasons not to busy yourself or reasons not to pray, or you find yourself in prayer and you're so restless that you can't stand there and pray, you're suffering from acedia. Fight through it. I'll give you a hint of what St. John said. Fight through it. And uh, everybody, Father Michael and I have a busy day today, and uh, we're glad to have recorded, even though it was a little bit shorter episode than usual. Uh, check us out on uh, anchor.fm forward slash on the battlefield for the podcast or on Spotify, Google Podcast, iTunes, everywhere else that you can find the podcast, uh, Rumble and YouTube for the OTB 
shorts, which are also going up bi-weekly. Uh, thank you, everyone, who finds us on Facebook at On the Battlefield Podcast and for listening so diligently, both new listeners and old. Yes, and uh, last word on that solution, too. Uh, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So when you have to force yourself in the spiritual life, don't worry. You're in the, on the right road and in good company. God bless you. Keep fighting the good fight, and we'll see you next time on the battlefield.